diaspora. Today, our amazing guest is all the way from London, UK. She's the founder and co-director of Kunda Kids. Her name is Louisa Olafui, and I'm really glad to have her on my podcast today. And well, I'm too happy. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Louisa. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I am honored and excited for what I already know and feel will be a fantastic conversation. So thank you for having me once again. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, okay. The first question will be, um, tell us more about yourself as an individual. Who is Louisa Falafu? Oh, I love that question. So usually we get right into Kunda Kids. So I'm happy to talk about myself a little bit. So my name is Louisa Olafuyi, um, fully Louisa Kiwana Olafuyi. Uh, the Kiwana is a very important part of my personal story. Um, I am Ugandan born and UK raised. So born in Kampala. Um, in 1987, you can do the maths, and I've been living in London for pretty much most of my life. Uh, even though I was, I've been raised in London, educated in the UK, um, I have a very strong connection to being Ugandan. I love to see my family. I love to travel back home. I love to eat my, uh, you know, national delic delicacies and cuisines whenever and wherever I can. And um, I have failed at the language part. I'm still trying to learn, but um, much better than I used to be, but very much proud of what it means to be African in the diaspora. I uh, am the founder and um, co-founder and, uh, you know, one of the, the main snipers at a a disruptive startup called Kunda Kids, which is changing <laughs> for children's content uh, and animations. And uh, but most importantly, I'm a wife and a mum and a friend and a daughter. And uh, and that's pretty much me in that's the summary of the summary. But I'm sure we'll delve deeper. <laughs> okay, okay, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> it's nice meeting someone who is proud of the African heritage. No matter where they are, it, uh, it really makes me so happy, and I'm glad you have that into you. Um, my second question will be Kunda Kids. Um, I got to know about Kunda Kids, I think, early last year, early 2021, and it was something I was very interested in because it's something I'm very, um, something I'm very passionate about the the real African narrative and how it's not portrayed in in the books we read and even in our educational system so i just want to ask um tell us your journey with kunda kids how you started why you started and how far it is right now right so um as i mentioned to you uh before i'm a mom my son is almost four and you know when you become a parent nothing in this life will prepare you for that and the shift in paradigm that you have about the life that you live and the life that you have lived so much comes into perspective 360 for sure and uh, when I had my son I really started to think about my own uh, childhood and within that narrative was about what I learned about myself 
um, and how we were going to raise a mixed heritage Ugandan and Nigerian child in the UK. These are some of the deeper conversations my husband and I had. And we like to think that we're quite intentional about our parenting um, and, you know, try to put our best foot forward in terms of thinking uh, about how we want to make our son enlightened and um, confident in himself as a young black boy in a predominantly white environment and an environment that still um, that still people of color experience a significant amount of racism and discrimination. So we thought about that. And honestly, JP, when I think back to what I learned about black history, all I remember learning was uh, slavery, slave trade. That was black history. That was the that was the portrait that was painted. And I remember feeling really awkward in class because I was the only black person in my class and the only black person in that lesson. And there was just so much shame that surrounded that topic. And it's, you know, slavery in itself and, um, you know, the colonization of Africa as a continent is a really disturbing story, but it wasn't the shame of the colonizers. It was just shame about the fact that that happened to me. And there was nothing positive that was said about what it is to be black and what it is to be African. Um, and I think that that has made me and uh, Dele, the co-founder of Kunda Kids, and also my husband, hyper aware of how important it is to not only have better representation of history and African history to children, but just better representation in children's literature and content overall. So that's what sparked the idea, just reflecting on our own personal experiences, becoming a parent and figuring out how we could do better for the next generation. Wow, wow. That's amazing. Eh? You you make something positive out of a life situation to a greater cause. Wow, wow, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask, um, so I've seen like the titles of, of your books, Shaka Zulu is Queen Ya, Queen Katami. Um, so what inspires these characters? Like what inspires you to pick from these characters? For those, there are mm. very many other African characters. Oh yeah, there's so many others. And uh, the first four books that we launched, we were also quite intentional not to have a Nigerian character yet because, um, you know, uh nigerian culture and nigerian people are just amazing and hugely influential to the point where a lot of the time people who are not very closely connected to africans and to topics about africa and people from africa might make the assumption that what they've seen is african which is you know itself a problematic term because we're not a country um, but yeah, they might assume that it's Nigerian. So we wanted to actually showcase different countries first, uh, but now actually we have two Nigerian titles. Um, so, you know, we wanted to get there. But first we did Shaka Zulu uh, from South Africa, 
uh, one of the uh, amazing leaders of the Zulu uh, nation and the Zulu kingdom, Queen Katami, who a lot of people don't know about. So that is one of the the, the people in our series, Africa's Little Kings and Queens, that most people haven't heard about. And she was a queen um, in Uganda uh, many, many years ago and was actually one of the first queens in Uganda to have an all-female army. She was a feminist before we had even created the term. Um, and she was a pioneer and a, a super brave and amazing person. So it was lovely to, to find out more about her. Uh, and then we had Queen Ya, uh, Queen Ya Santiwa from Ghana. Um, again, another pioneering woman and Mansa Musa, which a number of people have heard about. So what most people know about Mansa Musa um, for is being one of the richest Actually, he is the richest person in history. It's a it's it's a point that is often debated, but the fact, and you'll hear it here on the Sangin podcast, that he is recorded the richest person in history. Um, and but a lot of people don't know that he built so he built amazing educational institutions across Africa, and people would come from around the world to Mali to study, to learn um, mathematics, theology, philosophy, and so many things that actually Mali was the, the educational hub. It was the Howard, it was you know the Harvard, it was the Cambridge and the Oxford uh, back in the day. And we really wanted, we really wanted people to know because you know these days, it's like uh, people travel abroad to get the best, in, in, in inverted commas, best education. But they don't know that actually, you know, some of the best educational institutions in history were in Africa. So um, those were the four titles that we started with. It was uh, amazing to learn about people that we knew and also learn about people that we didn't know so much as well. Um, and that's a fun thing about writing stories is that you're teaching other people, but you're learning along the way. Wow, wow, amazing. <laughs> to be honest, I also never knew about Queen Kitami. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you I know realize, now. <laughs> and I realize she comes from the part of Uganda from which I come from. So, Mbrora? Yeah, almost, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a shame. And and I think it comes to to the question i want to bring you next do you think the reason why african stories are not put out there is because we aren't knowledgeable about them or we aren't taught about them or we aren't mm -hmm. proud of them we as africans right so it's a combination but i think one dominates uh, more than the other so i would say that the reason that these stories are not taught is uh, to put it simply, really because of institutionalized racism within the education sector. And um, if you think about it, the fact that we learn a number of different languages in the curriculum from French standard, German standard, Spanish, then recently introduced Mandarin, but there are no, what well, very few institutions, and it's definitely not mainstream, that are learning any languages from an entire continent, right? 
multiple languages from one continent, no languages from another. And sometimes these um, decisions create a perspective in young people's mind about what and who is important and what and is not important and who's not important. So a young person will naturally become very excited to travel to France because they've learned French and they've learned about the culture and the culture has been celebrated. But if there is an opportunity to travel to Ghana, maybe not necessarily that excited because uh, an attitude of uh, intrigue and excitement has not been cultivated from a young age and has not been cultivated in schools. So uh, I think that the institutional setup of how schools learn about, how schools teach and enable children to learn about Africa is important. And we're doing our best, at least at Kunda Kids, to try and course correct some of these things. Uh, and it's, a, it's, it's not something that only we can do, it's a combined effort. And we try to partner and collaborate with other people who, who, who see that and, and want to see that change. But I would also say it's not just down to, um, you know, institutional discrimination. It's also the fact that uh, reading culture within the diaspora uh, needs to improve. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We often, we, we, we do a lot of events. We're very grassroots. Like I mentioned, we're a startup. We're well, our, our hands and our feet are still in the mud. Dele and I, although we're founders, we're still the people selling at the markets, selling at bookstores, doing book readings in schools, as well as everything else, which is beautiful. I love to be part of the whole um, experience and process of, of, of uh, you know, growing our business. And because of that, we, we, we see a lot of insights and we see the cultures and the people that are excited about the notion of books and reading and education through storytelling and literature and some of the cultures that are not necessarily as excited about it. And I'll give you an example. And this is based you know, on what we have seen uh, quite consistently across the different markets that we've been in. Um, we see a lot of interest and uh, a lot of support from, for instance, um, people from the Caribbean uh, we see a lot of interest uh, from, uh, markets in Africa, such as Kenya, and uh, also a lot of interest from Africans in the diaspora. Probably because, um, maybe Kenya aside, but the others, because they have been exposed to racism and understand the importance of educating, building self-confidence, self-awareness and self-love through books that represent uh, you know, children uh, of darker skin tones. However, because racism doesn't exist when you are a Ghanaian living in Ghana, Ugandan living in Uganda, Nigerian living in Nigeria, and so forth, um, sometimes the, the importance of representation is a slightly more difficult message to drive and to make people aware of because it's not something that they really experience. And um, so it's, it's a combination of two. I would say outside of the African continent and the countries that at least we're most present, the institutionalized racism within the educational sector affects people's uh, you know, ability to learn. 
But once the content is there, they're into it. But I think what we're working on now uh, across the continent in Africa is really championing reading culture and storytelling and the importance and the power of stories to transform children's lives, to broaden their awareness, to um, you know, nurture their imagination. So it's a, it, it's a combination of the two. Wow, wow, wow. That was a nice you know, analysis of all that. Um, I, want to ask, <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask, so at Kunda Kids, what has been your successes so far, your achievements so far? Oh, wow. So, you know, um, that's a lovely, you have lovely questions, JP. So uh, we've actually achieved a lot and there's still so much to do, but I can hand on my heart, tell you that I'm so proud of what we have achieved because it is so far and beyond what we planned and what we prayed for. And it is an indication of, you know, greater things to come. So I would say our, our biggest achievement achievements, I would say, are one, um, I would so many, I'm just trying to think. So first and foremost, uh, even just getting the books done at a great quality, right? Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the publishing industry, but uh, most people that want to write a book will do it in two ways they will either publish the book themselves so they'll write it themselves maybe they'll find an editor get it on amazon get somebody to print it or whatever but usually they'll have to print it they'll have to sell it quite expensive because printing at low quality low quantities um is you know financially taxing because of economies of scale if you print a hundred thousand you'll be able to sell your books for three or four pounds. If you're only printing 50, you'll probably have to sell your books at like eight or nine pounds. So that's the issue for a lot of people who have great ideas. So most people go to a big publisher who will take care of that problem for them, printing, marketing. But a lot of those publishers do not invest their time and effort into black authors as they should. When they do, maybe it's only a select number of black authors um, for a select period of time and uh, so the, the the market is quite fragmented and the situation in regards to uh, publishers getting their stories out there is not very easy so you know I, I say all of that to say that one of our main uh, achievements has been the quality of our books at our price point it's probably uh, maybe of quite a a boring business achievement, business technical achievement, but we print on par with the books that you'll see in your highest premium and also mainstream retailers from page quality to cover um, to the quality of, of text and everything. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tell our books aside from you know the, the, the leaders out there. And as a small company that was just started with the two of us, and it really was just the two of us and two illustrators and one editor when we published our first four books, I'm really proud of that. I'm proud that when we launched, we made a very clear point to say, we're coming for you. We're not doing this in a small way, in a cheap way, uh, in a quick way. We're here for the long term and we're making it 
you know, we're making it clear that we, we are really doing this at a very, very high quality. So I love that our books are high quality and we get that feedback from schools. The other achievement that I have is around uh, the Kunda Kids app. So we now have an app. We have our books, obviously, they're in bookstores and schools, but we have an app that everybody can access for free, read stories for free, learn African languages from Luganda to Yoruba to Igbo to Twi uh, to Wolof. So I'm very, very proud of that, of, of that, that we've been able to cultivate a digital learning experience for free for everybody. Um, it wasn't easy. Not going to go into the details, but it's a fantastic app and even more uh, updates to, to be made. And then I think the, the third and not the last achievement, but I think the third that I'll mention on this conversation is the fact that we have an amazing team. We have an amazing team. I think there are about 17 or 20 of us now in total from Delhi and myself to now a team of about 16 people um and amazing leaders so shout out to Chike who leads our animations uh Ife and Tony that lead our marketing um Joko that leads our business development um and you know we're just so proud of working with amazing people we are you know we are who we are because of everybody that comes together to make it work and I love that we have a team that we trust and that trusts us, that we have banter, but we also get the job done. And for a business, your team is, you know, your greatest asset. So that's what I'm really proud of. Wow, wow, amazing, amazing. I'm so proud of the work <laughs> very proud Thank of you. <laughs> so uh, my next question is, um, when a child that's of age, three, four, and five is reading a story. Let's say like Shaka Zulu goes to school. If I remember, that's the name of the title. Yes. Um, what, what do you want them to learn? What's that hidden message that you want them to feel in their heart when they're reading such a message? Apart from right. just the comical stuff of it. Right. So every one of our stories has a moral lesson, you know, part of it. So with Shaka Zulu learns to dance, it is a fun story about this, you know, great king that just has one fault. He's perfect across every other attribute of his uh, of his nature, but he just can't dance, and it's actually quite uh, quite an issue. Uh, and it's fun to read, but the the main underlying soft skill that we want young people to leave with is. Um, the point about confidence and self-confidence. And we recently did a, a workshop in collaboration with PwC in London called uh, Confidence Kids. It was a Confidence Kids workshop and we read that story because confidence is not something that you can get from other people or you should get from other people. It is a belief in self that has to be internalized and needs to come from self. And a lot of us come to this realization much older in life. And we wish that we were more confident earlier and younger. So this is why we think that these messages are really important uh, to have early as, you know, as early as possible. And likewise with like Mansa Musa builds a school, this story is about generosity 
As I mentioned before, Mansa Musa was one of the richest people in the world. So what can we tell children about that? This person had everything, but even among have, um, among amongst being the richest person who could have bought any any toy they could have ever dreamt of, it meant nothing without being able to share, to share the enjoyment, to give something back to other people. So we teach about kindness and generosity. And at the back of each book as uh, a clear explanation as to what the moral of the story is. So a parent and a teacher can know that they have a fun story that does three things. One, teaches children about African history or culture or teaches children about uh, a character from uh, either Africa or the Caribbean. That's one to have fun and have an amazing time, which is all children want to do. And three, leave with a very clear moral that makes children learn something, not only about the character, but about themselves. So those are the three underlying principles for Kunda Kids books. Have fun, be exposed to new people and places, and you know, ultimately learn something progressive and positive about yourself. Wow, 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 amazing. Amazing. I wish there were then adult version that I could read also. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. When we did the confidence workshop for kids, uh, you know, the important part is for kids, it's the adults that were like, man, I really needed that workshop, you know? And the adults and the parents and the aunties and uncles that came with the young people you know, they, it was quite an emotional day, to be honest, because they were talking about how they have struggled and also um, risen above their their own confidence and or lack thereof. And, uh, you know, it was a great time for children were extremely vulnerable and said things that really blew our mind, like, what do I do when I feel worthless? Have you ever felt worthless? And to hear a child say that to you, you think, wow, where has that come from? But then when we think about the depth of our thoughts when we were young, we used to think a lot of deep things and children are incredibly perceptive and incredibly intuitive and deep. And we need to sometimes tap into that and make sure that we, we nurture confidence. And um, it's the parents as well who were talking about, you know, their own things from finding and applying for jobs, to relationships, to doubting themselves. So, you know, it's this ongoing thing that is not just for children, it's for adults as well. But if we can tackle these things as young and as early as possible, then we're only setting ourselves up to have greater, more confident, enlightened people that are going to lead, you know, be, be the leaders. They're going to be our next leaders. They are the next generation in our future. Wow, 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 amazing. Okay, um, I want to ask this question. Um, where you are in the UK, it's Black mm. History Month, and yeah. you are publishing Black, not African content. So how, how do you view that Black History Month um, context of things? Because me as a person, I'm just trying to be honest with you, I don't believe that it should be a month for a specific group of people. It should be the whole year, 24-7. So what's your view on that? And how does your work correlate with that period of the year? 
Yeah, really interesting point that you've raised. So for, um, for example, in our newsletter ahead of Black History Month, I called it Black History Month and Beyond, right? I think it's really important for us to have something that prompts us to stop, think and celebrate something, right? For example, we don't, we don't need to celebrate Christmas to have dinner as a family, give gifts to our loved ones, be thankful for the death and you know eventual resurrection of Christ. We don't need one day for that. But being able to have a day to remind us to stop and pause is great amongst our very busy schedules. So I love that Black History Month exists. And I think it's really important that we support it because it is that opportunity to stop reflect and celebrate what can often be completely ignored and missed, which is the importance of not only learning about black history, but the, the achievements of people from the diaspora and reminding people that so much of the luxuries that we enjoy every day are because of the sacrifices that, uh, that people made. However, I do agree with your point that it shouldn't just be for one month. Um, it should be ongoing, which is why in our newsletter I said Black History and Beyond. Unsurprisingly, it's been a very busy month for us because we've had a lot of engagements. We've been doing a lot of book readings in school, schools, and it's been a great way for us to connect with uh, collaborators that share the same values as us. But I've been extremely intentional in making a point to say, it's been a pleasure doing this for Black History Month, but what next? Because Black history uh, and not just Black history for Black kids, but Black history for all children to learn about different cultures and countries and places and traditions and everything should really be throughout the year and ongoing, but I also think it's a great opportunity to, to catch people whilst they're in it, right? And then our job is to uh, use Black History Month as a great starting step for intervention and then make sure that we continue that intervention through every single other month that there is in the year. Okay, okay. Um... Just one question about Kundekids. Um, are there plans for you maybe, let's say, to translate it to Mandarin so that uh, the Chinese here can also read it? Yes, absolutely. And actually, I would really be interested in knowing, you know, what the situation is uh, based on your experiences as a Ugandan, um, you know, in, in China. And um, we'll get into that. But absolutely. So right now, we are translating uh, pretty much all of our titles into other languages. It is a very long process because even within one language, there are different dialects and different details that might vary for a number of different reasons. So we have to get several people involved, you know, to make sure that we're representing um, different languages and cultures well through our books, but that is the plan. And as soon as we do translate any of our stories to Mandarin, JP, you will be the first to know, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be very happy because uh, 
the perception among most Chinese here about Africa is very scanty and crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We can definitely be better about that. Okay, so apart from Kunde Kids, uh, my last questions would be, um, who's your favorite African personality and why? Ooh, personality. Can I ask for maybe clarity by what you mean by personality? If you said person, yeah. that would be easier. But personality, I would okay, need person. A... Let's tell okay. it person. Person. My favorite African person, uh, and I can only choose one. No, I can choose many. I can choose many. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Fantastic. So can I give you three? And I'm not going to make it go on for too long. I'll be very as succinct as I can be. So first and foremost, one of my favorite African people, hands down, uh, and probably won't come as a surprise to anybody that knows me, is my mum. You know, my mum is a pioneer in, a, in, in, in many ways. And, uh, you know, she's somebody that's lived in the UK and has gone back home and uh, has really done an amazing job in building a business in Uganda and also being extremely entrepreneurial in the UK as well. So much of what I know, even from just, you know, market stalls and uh, running a business and, and talking to people face to face and really, really hustling with a capital H, right? is from her and the ability to have confidence in myself, leverage my skills um, and go out there and just do the damn thing. I think that that definitely comes from my mom. So she is my one of my favorite African people for sure. Um, I also, um, somebody that really inspires me is uh, Patrice Lumumba. Uh, I don't know if you're, are you aware of him? Yeah, very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I recently actually wrote a short story about Patrice Lumumba for our African heroes. Uh, you know, we have a series called African Heroes and we feature lots of people. Um, but, you know, he, he, in summary, he was one of the, he was the first prime minister of the Democratic Republic of Congo um, and a great leader. And he really pioneered his country's independence and freedom. But what I really like about him is he was what I like to describe is, I would say he is cut from the same cloth that you, me and Leslie and uh, my dad and also my dad's dad are cut from, which is that journalism cloth. Whether you like it or not, when you are born a storyteller and it's in your DNA, you can do so many things in your life, but you're still going to probably end up storytelling. You just won't be able to help yourself. And I love that he was somebody that was um, criticized when he was a child for being too talkative or speaking back and putting adults in his place. He had a voice and he wasn't afraid to use it. That voice got him in trouble and really ended up being his demise. But um, that voice also liberated people and awakened his people and changed how, uh, you know, the government worked for the Democratic of, of Congo at the time. And I just feel like he was such a charismatic, um, charismatic, courageous, 
uh, person who I absolutely love. I wish that if I could have uh, a dinner table and invite people both alive and past, he would definitely be on that dinner table. I think he was just an extraordinary person with a big voice and a big mouth, but that big mouth is really what has inspired so many of us to have the luxuries of, of um, you know, broadcasting our sentiments, uh, especially in regards to our culture today. Um, and then the third wow, wow. person, <laughs> the third person that I would say is, um, Mm, oh, there's so many. This is such a hard question, JP. I can't believe that you did this to me. <laughs> I would say probably the third person, without sounding particularly soppy, because I know that it was my first, the first person that I mentioned was my mum. But I genuinely think that my husband, even if he wasn't my husband, is one of the most inspiring Africans that I know. Dele is a pioneer and... Um, an innovator through and through, right? He wakes up every day with so many different ideas. He's a fantastic leader. He bleeds Africa. Like he really, really cares about how we can do better and, and, and what can we do to, to empower our people, uh, both in Africa and abroad. And there's no better person to have been doing this journey with from a, as a business partner, but also as a life partner. I really can't think of anybody that I value more in terms of taking inspiration from, really, other than my mum and my, my husband. Um, maybe my son one day, but he's only four and a half, so he's only he's only going to be three and a half, going to be four, so he hasn't done that much yet. So, <laughs> so that's pretty much my top three. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Um, my last question uh, would be, um, sure. what makes you proudly African? What's the thing that makes you a proud African? Hmm. The thing that makes me proudly African, I think um, sense of self is such a complex, it's a, com it's a complex journey that we all are on and different points can be easier than others. I think what has made me proudly African was the fact that I went, I went home a lot from childhood we went to Uganda every year. And even, you know, when I was young, we spent up to an like a month in Uganda. And being able to be at home and know that this is my home. You know, I'm I've got a British passport. I live here. I have a British accent uh, and probably a pretty British sense of humor and general sentiment, too. But I know hand on my heart, I am Ugandan and I am African. And sometimes amidst a world of uncertainty um, and uh, turmoil, right? Especially when we had the Black Lives Matter movement happening here, right now with the cost of living crisis and the energy crisis and so much happening and you think, where am I? Where I? Where should I be? I find it really reassuring to know that I'm not home. I'm somewhere else, and that I have a home somewhere to go back to. Um, I love landing at Entebbe Airport and just getting that smell. Right, just the smell of home and the warmth and the humidity in the air. Um, 
feeling happy at home, I feel like is what makes me proudly African. As much as uh, I can be over here abroad um, and you know talk about what it is to be African, I think what makes me proudly African is just to be happy when I'm home, be happy with my family, be walking and just feeling like people don't even know I'm looking so happy. They probably think I'm weird or, or I'm on something, but I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be walking the street and thinking, wow, these are my people, okay? Um, and because I guess that's just an experience that I don't have abroad. I'm usually the only black person in the room, the only black person on the train, one of the few black person in a class or in a seminar. So I really love to go home and just be among my people um, and be proud of where I come from. I love being Ugandan. Uh, I love my family. I love our food. I love our climate. I love that we don't rush to do anything. We take our time to do everything. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm really proud of that. So that definitely is a huge part of uh, what makes me proudly African. And, and to also know that I come from a line of amazing, great people. It's in my DNA. Uh, there's nothing special about me being here in the UK because I know that wherever I was placed, I would have done great things because I am, you know, proudly African. Wow, wow, amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, thank you, Louisa, for coming my by. Uh, we're deep happy. Me, I'm very happy to have you. It was amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm happy to be here. This and, was so uh, much fun. Yeah, guys, we check up uh, Kunda Kids, the Kunda Kids app, your bookstore. Yes. Hopefully, do. one day when I'm here in, in Wuhan, China, I can see it on the bookstore. Yes. <laughs> I'm happy. So, yeah, yes. thank you so much for passing by, and uh, we're deeply honored. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm going to get our books to Wuhan. You can, uh, you know, count on me and uh, make me accountable for that. I'm, I'm definitely on it. And I would absolutely love to talk further uh, with you about, uh, how, you know, what the situation is there and your experience is there. But I realize that this is your podcast and we could talk for days and days and days. But I'm, you know, it's been wonderful to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me on. You're welcome. You're welcome.